from Ratterman Studios, this is High Pressure, a podcast where industry leaders discuss common challenges, industry trends, and daily operations surrounding gases and welding. Here's your host, George Ratterman. So, you know, one of the effects right now we're running into is the fact that many of the ethanol plants are shutting down. And of course, that's a direct effect on how much CO2 we can get because the output of CO2 is directly related to how much ethanol they're producing. If you want to go back 30 years ago, carbon dioxide was primarily manufactured from ammonia refrigeration plants, about 40% ammonia, and maybe about 20% oil refineries where they, they made hydrogen, and then 10% natural wells, and then about 15% ethanol. And then you go forward to today, and the raw CO2 is now about 45% ethanol, about 15% refineries, and about 20% natural wells, and only 10% ammonia. So what's, what's happened is there's been a dramatic shift in where the carbon dioxide is coming from over the, uh, over the last 30 years. Nominally, the cost of liquid CO2 is about half the production cost, what they pay for the raw product and what it costs to operate the, the plant. And then the other half is distribution cost, which is what does it cost to put it in a truck, haul it to the eventual customer. So if all of a sudden uh, a bunch of plants close down and you're forced as a gas manufacturer to move the product long distances, all of a sudden, half of your cost may have doubled, tripled, quadrupled. So that that then causes force majeure in the industry, which means people uh, might have been paying uh, $80 to $100 a ton for the CO2, and now all of a sudden it's 250 if you can get it. For example, the the price of ammonia dropped in the United States dramatically to the point to where most of the ammonia is now made offshore. So that dried up the sources for classic carbon dioxide processes. And that then got replaced by ethanol. And ethanol has been driven by government subsidies. Hey, David, where CO2 is being produced at the ethanol plants, how many ethanol plants are in the United States? And how many at this point in time have been shut down? There are about 200 ethanol plants in existence, but only 43 have commercial CO2 connected to them. And about half of the 200 plants are shut down. Now, I don't know what percentage of the CO2 plants are shut down, but probably around half. And and 48% of those have shut down within the last three months. Are they, are they permanently closed? Some probably are, but some are potentially going to reopen. See, the other part of this is that many of those plants are co-ops, which means they're owned by the farmers. The co-ops are maybe more likely to reopen than Bob's Ethanol Company, uh, you know, stock-owned and all that kind of stuff, because they may say, hey, it's not in it for us, we're, we're out of here. The farmers are saying, we need a place to sell our corn. Hey, David, when you look at the United States and the different ethanol plants, do you have a feel for what areas you think are most likely going to shut down? 
Well, if, if you're getting carbon dioxide from an ethanol plant, more than likely it's somewhere near the Midwest because the ethanol plants are usually fairly close to the corn and other uh, vegetable products that are being used for fermentation. And unfortunately, the most, most of the users are in the big cities or the industrial areas, and, and that's generally not in the middle of Iowa or someplace. And the other problem that you have is that with the present coronavirus situation, you have a lot of reduced volume in gasoline that's being sold. So therefore, those gallons of ethanol are not being required because of the dramatic drop in gasoline. But we've also seen a dramatic decrease in profits of the ethanol plants due to the fact that ethanol is more expensive than gasoline and the price of oil has dropped so low. I don't know what gasoline is in, in California, but in Chicago, I can get it for as little as $1.30 a gallon. It used to be pushing $3 a gallon. That, that makes ethanol totally unprofitable. So there's a possibility that a large number of ethanol plants may close permanently. And based upon what I said earlier, today with 45% of the product being produced from ethanol plants. When you look at the future, let's just say, you know, we had not done ethanol and there's been a very large growth in the CO2 market. How do you think naturally that would have organically happened if there was not the already in place application of making ethanol from corn and all? Well, if, uh, if the ethanol sources were not there, then the industry would have been looking around for other alternate sources. The problem that, that you have is that the alternate sources tend to be lower purity. Lower purity means higher cost to separate the carbon dioxide from the other stuff that's there. And so that then makes it more uneconomical to to make carbon di- commercial carbon dioxide. So if ethanol were to significantly reduce, then it's very possible that the CO2 industry's prices could go way up in order to uh, meet make supply and demand match. You know, David, we're talking about CO2 and you know your stuff. As you look at the future here and the growth in the CO2 market, I mean, people are talking about the fact that it potentially could be a 200% growth in the next couple of years. Is when my thoughts were, is that an accurate number from your perspective? Not at all. Uh, if you take a look at the numbers of commercial carbon dioxide tons delivered over the last 10 years, it's been more or less flat. And in fact, it's been growing maybe 1% per year. And part of that is because some of the major applications are decreasing and other applications that were uh, significant have, have decreased as well. When you look at the beverage market, how quickly do you think that market's going to come back and to what level? And do you think there's other markets that possibly are not going to come back at all? Historically, been about 30% of all of the CO2 that's been consumed. And so right now, that percentage may be a little bit low. That just means it'll go right back up to where it was. 
I think the beverage part of the market will come back almost immediately because people are not stopping drinking Coke, Pepsi, 7-Up, or beer, uh, and in fact, they may drink more. But, uh, but the part of the market that may not come back fast at all is the, is the ethanol part of it because people are not buying gasoline. The price of gasoline, uh, somebody just said they, they paid less than a dollar a gallon for gas. And, uh, at that price, you can't afford to make, to manufacture the ethanol to blend it into the gasoline because the ethanol costs more than a buck a gallon to produce if you were doing pH control. Any acid can do the neutralization. So you could substitute sulfuric acid, you could substitute hydrochloric, and then once CO2 comes back, then you can go back to using CO2. So if these ethanol plants don't reopen, there potentially could be a lot of opportunity for somebody depending on what they might be able to do looking at the future. If you were if you were a person looking at what the future and making a decision what you would be doing, what would that be? I would say if you have alternative technologies, you might want to consider uh, looking at them, such as uh, converting a food freezer from carbon dioxide to liquid nitrogen. Uh, that, that can increase the capacity. And as I said to you earlier, the... Uh, Liquid nitrogen is made with nitrogen and electricity. Well, there's always nitrogen in the air, and there's almost always electricity. So the likelihood that you'll be shut off of nitrogen is low. It, the price may go up, but it'll be there. Carbon dioxide, you have to have the raw CO2. If the raw CO2 goes away for three months, or a month, you either do without of the carbon dioxide or find something else. And, and if you're carbonated beverage, you can't. There is no technological competition. So those people that have to have it will pay whatever they have to to get it. The other people that where it's marginal will consider optimally uh, going to other other things, even if it's temporary. My advice to the CO2 distributors is run their tanks on full. Classically, the industrial gas companies, they almost tend to run the tanks on empty. Why? Because they want to put a full truckload into the tank because that's less trips per year to go and fill that tank. So even though you may have a 50-ton tank that the trailer holds 20 tons. Many times the tank is sitting down below a third, and then they send in one or two trucks in a row. And if it goes full, it goes full for a very short period of time, and then they run it down. Regarding the, the need to be able to produce CO2, I know right now there's a, a drop in the use of CO2 for the beverage industry due to the shelter-in-place issues we're all dealing with right now. But as that opens back up and we get back to normalcy uh, and there is a demand for CO2 and maybe a shortage, where would you be looking at? Where would you be looking to invest or put your structure in place for that horizon in the next two to five years out? 
Oh, boy, that's a really difficult question because uh, there may be some ammonia plants that come back onshore because the price of natural gas is so low in the U.S. relative to the rest of the world that we may see some of the ammonia plants returning. If that's the case, I would be putting CO2 plants on those ammonia sources. Uh, the, The sourcing people within the industry... Uh, have a job that I don't, uh, I don't relish. Uh, they have very difficult choices to make because many of the choices that are available are lower purity sources. Lower purity sources have higher production costs. So if you bet on a lower purity source and you built your plant and somebody else builds a high purity plant right next door you could be out of business the year after you opened your plant now we all know co2 is using beverage some great stories of how it happened i understand maybe coca-cola that somebody by accident actually had put in soda water instead of regular water when they were mixing the elixir at that time way back when and that was supposed to be maybe the birth of it i don't know if that story is completely accurate but you know we know about beverage and what are the other large markets that you see CO2 is used at? And I particularly, I think our listeners would find it really interesting where the niches are at, the spots you wouldn't traditionally think about that product is being used at. I guess the, the most interesting one was when I got uh, the opportunity to automate a dry ice processing line in Anchorage, Alaska, where uh, I tend to tell people we used to sell dry ice to the Eskimos, which seems a little bit crazy, but they they manufacture dry ice in Anchorage, Alaska. That's unusual. I, I would not think they would need to do that in Anchorage, Alaska. Well, in, in Anchorage, they use dry ice pellets seeding the clouds over the airport to try to reduce the fog because they have a lot of fog due to the uh, winds rolling in from across the ocean. And believe it or not, the dry ice does tend to reduce the fog and increase visibility. Two other more unusual ones that you might be interested in, how about decaffeination of coffee, where carbon dioxide is used as a supercritical fluid to extract the caffeine without actually uh, damaging the bean at all. And in addition to that, we have uh, marijuana THC extraction, which is a supercritical process and and uh, that's that's one that's growing it's very small but it's a it's an interesting one nonetheless yeah one of the bigger users is chilling and that's where liquid co2 is injected into uh like mixer blenders or chicken parts and and the dry ice that's formed is mixed in with the meat and it chills the meat down because in the meat packing industry they have to bring the temperature of the killed product down to 40 degrees within an hour or or they have to throw it out uh, another big application is welding uh, but welding is decreasing a little bit because argon CO2 mixes are becoming more popular, throwing a little bit of argon in with the CO2 reduces the amount of splatter, and therefore they don't have to do as much weld cleanup. Well, David Bergner, I really appreciate you being with us today and giving us an update on CO2 and some of the history of CO2. And as we move forward, we obviously can see clearly from the information you gave us today that it is really a very volatile market, and we'll have a lot of changes 
as we move through the future. So thank you again for your time today on the High Pressure Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We'd love it if you'd subscribe to our podcast. You can also follow us on LinkedIn. Broderman is also offering training for our gas distributors at rmimfg.com slash webinars.